Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. We're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Prophet of the Airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada News, Notes, and Opinions from the Underground for Friday, August the 19th in the year of our Lord 2022. Follow me on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, and the website is therichardserrettshow.com. Thank God, just one more day until one half of my IT department returns from summer camp. One of my twin boys, North, is north of Montreal. He's, bad at, he's been at an Antiochian Orthodox Christian camp. No phone for an entire week. And that's good for him. It's great for a 15-year-old boy to be away from his phone for seven days. It's far more difficult for me because I, I have no way of getting in touch with him. And I lean on my IT department a lot. That's what I lovingly call my, tw- my two sons, the IT department. I'm I'm sure I drive them crazy because when it comes to computers and software and apps and the rest, I am a complete techno-peasant. And both Declan and uh, Jacob can attest to that. A complete Luddite. And uh, North, I'll say, how do I access the Google Drive? Zach, how do I upload a photo to Instagram? It's constant. Anyway, so he's coming home tomorrow night and things will be easier for me. That's what it's all about. It's about me. (laughs) Of course, I miss him. Of course, I miss him. And his brother misses him as well. But uh, he can't admit it. It's an unwritten rule. Brothers are not supposed to say, I miss you. That wouldn't be cool. Uh, Twice this week, 
I've spoken with Mia Ashton from COSBAR, which is a wonderful organization, a group of women fighting for women's sex-based rights. That's what COSBAR stands for, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. And Mia is COSBAR's lead spokeswoman on COSBAR's child safeguarding campaign, which seeks to alert Canadians to the harm this radical gender ideology is doing to our children. So she's usually here Thursdays for our In Defense of Women segment, but there is so much news lately in the area of gender ideology that I had her on on Tuesday. We talked about the Tavistock Center in the UK, which is where young children and teenagers go when they mistakenly think they were born in the wrong body. That's right, I said that, mistakenly. There is no such thing as being born in the wrong body. God doesn't make mistakes. There are two sexes, male and female. There are two genders, male and female. Anyway, the Tavistock, the Tavistock Center has been ordered closed by the UK's National Health Service over safety concerns. In other words, the Tavistock Center and its employees were being reckless and rushing children into gender-affirming care. Puberty blockers and cross hormones and surgery, meaning castration and double mastectomies, which is an atrocity. So that's great news. Then on Tuesday, we also learned that about 1,000 parents in the UK have joined together in a lawsuit. They're suing the Tavistock Center for all of the unimaginable harm that they have done to children. But while the Uh, Tavistock is closing its transgender youth clinic and putting the brakes on gender-affirming care in the UK. Here in Canada, we're going in the opposite direction and in the United States. More so here, because in some states, they've actually criminalized the the practice of gender-affirming care. But across the US, other gender clinics are becoming increasingly aggressive The Boston Children's Hospital, for example, has a promotional video advertising gender-affirming hysterectomies for adolescent females. That's right. Advertising gender-affirming hysterectomies for adolescent females. The Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh has a similar one for puberty blockers. Now, here's another promotional video from Yale Medicine. Have a listen to this. I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I am the director of the Yale Gender Program, which is an interdisciplinary program working with gender expansive individuals, 3 to 25, and their families. We um, help individuals who are questioning their gender identity or who identify as transgender or non-binary. We help them with their gender journey, um, thinking through that, thinking through the risks and the benefits of uh, medical intervention, uh, starting medical intervention, um, and also building supports around them. And I love what I do, so it's really, really wonderful to, to be working in this field and to be working with individuals who are gender diverse and gaining their support and helping them on their gender journeys. Don't be deceived by the pleasant voice. And if you've seen the video on social media, don't be deceived by her pleasant countenance. Christy Olazeski, PhD. She's the co-founder of the, uh, I guess, the gender-affirming care clinic at Yale Medicine. Don't be deceived. This is evil. She's counseling and advising and steering children as young as three on their gender journey. Gender journey. 
What does a three-year-old know about gender or sex or anything for that matter? She's guiding three-year-olds on their gender journey. She's advising a three-year-old innocent little girl for whatever reason who thinks she feels like a boy. That little three-year-old girl we used to call a tomboy. Now she's in this creepy woman's clutches. She may end up on puberty blockers in a few years, cross hormones. Nobody knows about the long-term effects of these drugs. That little three-year-old girl will have her, her thoughts affirmed, her confusion affirmed. She'll be convinced she's really a little boy trapped in a little girl's body. And by the time she's 13 or 14, she may have her breasts bound. By the time she's 18, maybe a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy. And then by the time she's 30, she may realize she made a horrible mistake, but it's too late. It's too late. This is evil. This is the banality of evil. Christy Olazeski, PhD from Yale Medicine, sounds and looks so pleasant. But this is the face and the sound of evil. Check out this headline in the Telegraph newspaper in the UK. Lockdown effects feared to be killing more people than COVID. Unexplained excess deaths outstrip those from virus as medics call figures terrifying. That's in the Telegraph. Here is more from another British paper, the Euro Weekly, the headline. Lockdowns may be over, but its effects on elderly people certainly are not. As the Office for National Statistics records that there are more people dying from lockdown than from COVID. Nearly 10,000 more deaths than the five-year average. This means that the rate for excess deaths has climbed by 14.4% higher than the average. None of these deaths are linked to the virus, although in the week ending the 5th of August 2022, 1,350 more people than usual died, as reported by the Daily Mail. Of these deaths, only 469 were related to COVID, whereas 881 have not been explained. Since June, an average of 1,089 people have been dying from conditions unrelated to COVID. Despite people suffering and dying each week from illnesses and conditions other than COVID, 20,000 people have still been subjected to a 12-hour wait in emergency care. It's been suggested that the Department of Health have ordered an investigation into the delays in medical treatment due to the continued strains placed on the NHS as a potential cause of the substantial ongoing excess of deaths. The Stroke Association said they'd been anticipating this rise in death figures for some time. Dr. Charles Levinson, the chief executive of a private GP service, Dr. Call, has noted a, quote, disturbing amount of mental health conditions, undetected cancers, and cardiac problems. He asked the Telegraph... Hundreds of people are dying every week. What's going on? So we've talked about this, how hundreds and hundreds of cost-benefit analysis have shown, the cost-benefit analysis of lockdowns have shown what a catastrophic mistake these lockdowns were. And, And that more people have died as a result of the lockdowns than as a result of covid Roman Baber, 
conservative leadership hopeful, got kicked off Twitter, basically, not kicked off Twitter, kicked out of the PC caucus for basically saying this. And then uh, what's his name? That character on CTV, Evan Solomon, who's so smug and sanctimonious. Tried to rake Baber over the coals for saying this. It's true. It's it's this is news all over Great Britain. We talked about the stats in Alberta. The number one cause of death in the province unknown. Anyway, uh, big show for you today. Naomi Wolf will be here in the second hour. Of course, the great one, Greg Carrasco, host of the Greg Carrasco show, heard Saturday mornings, 8 to 11 here on the Saga 960 will be here. Art Moore a little bit later. We'll talk more about American philosopher Sam Harris and his ridiculous comments on a podcast regarding Donald Trump. The Lim Riddler is here. The Sofa Cinephile, Christopher Garitano, will be uh, reviewing the 4K version of True Romance. It's been nearly 30 years since that was first released theatrically. Uh, Today, the ban on importing handguns into uh, Canada goes into effect. Tracy Wilson from Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights will be here to talk about it. But coming up next, the feds are admitting defeat. The Crown is dropping charges against Freedom Convoy supporters. Wyatt Claypool from the National Telegraph has that story. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Friday, August the 19th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. So, are the feds throwing in the towel in terms of charges against Freedom Convoy supporters? Wyatt Claypool suspects the answer may be yes. He's the senior contributor with the National Telegraph and he joins us now. Hey, Wyatt, how are you? Not doing too bad. Thanks for having me on, Richard. My pleasure. So we have at least one example, um, and uh, this was a a gentleman, I believe a gentleman, who was facing up to 45 days in prison. He'd been charged with mischief, disobeying a a court order, obstructing a police officer. I'm assuming this took place in in Ottawa during the convoy. Um, Those charges have been stayed. Uh, Give us the details. What do we know about it? So basically, the Democracy Fund, this was back on August 9th, this actually happened, and then they waited to put out a press release until more than a week later. But basically, that they were representing one man who was arrested in after the Ottawa protest when the police violently moved in and started beating people and, uh, and uh, arresting them for uh, participating in a legal protest. So what the Democracy Fund had done, and this is probably sort of spilling over into many other sort of uh, you know, court cases is that they basically didn't really defend the man in the sense that they aggressively went after the prosecution, the crown, to prove that there was even a crime committed. And eventually the the crown actually had to essentially bail out. They were hoping to probably force someone into a plea deal, hoping that the legal cost would be too much, that someone would just be willing to say, yes, I'm guilty, I'll pay $1,000 or something like that, and the government can pretend to have a win. But by aggressively pushing on them to actually prove a crime, it put the Crown in an awkward position where they actually couldn't even move forward in the trial because they couldn't file for anything, essentially. And then actually just after that case, we've now just a couple days ago, the uh, JCCF also released a uh, press release saying that they had seven of their people also have the charges stated against them, which sounds like the exact same situation as what happened with the Democracy Fund. So I think what you're going to start seeing is more and more uh, these charges just uh, coming out and like being dropped 
in sort of these rolling um, uh, sort of sweeps of the court records. So the 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 federal government then, or the prosecutors, the Crown, admitting that they don't have a case, and I guess by extension, what? Admitting that the protest in Ottawa was entirely above board and legal. Yeah, like they're, they're admitting it by not saying it, but through their actions of having dropped these charges, they're admitting it. Because if the protest was inherently illegal and being there was a crime, it should be so easy to put every single one of these people in prison that they've arrested and charged. The fact that they're having to drop any of these shows that they have nothing. It actually kind of parallels the whole January 6th thing where they're having to drop charges against people because you can't exactly charge someone for just wandering into the Capitol when they were literally sort of like gestured in by security and other sort of like FBI agents kind of goading people on. And in this case for the Ottawa protest, I think what they're also admitting is that any of the other cases they haven't dropped yet, they're essentially saying that they're just kind of legally torturing these people. They know they can't uh, prove that they've committed a crime because the people who had the charges dropped against them, it was the same stuff against Tamara Leach and Chris Barber and others. It was mischief, not following police orders and whatnot. And the fact that they've dropped those means that they couldn't prove it against anyone else, but they kind of want to keep certain people like Tamara Leach in the court system in order to make some sort of an example out of her. Uh, Which led you in your article to, um, I guess, imply or not necessarily imply i think you just come out and you you wrote it that maybe the jccf in in their their defense of tamara leach should have been more aggressive in going after the prosecutors rather than trying to defend her they should have been playing offense yeah and this is my thing a lot of people sometimes don't like when i or other people the national telegraph make sort of soft criticisms of the JCCF, but from all the court, uh, like the, of all the court uh, proceedings and whatnot that I've read and everything, it seems like they go into court with the mentality that I have to prove that she has the right to be there. She has the freedom of expression. She has charter rights. It's like, you don't even have to do that. Just say, what's the actual crime here? Because we need to know the crime before we defend ourselves, where they're almost buying into the crown's nonsense by starting to defend her when there's nothing to defend her against yet. You can't, def- you can't, like you can't charge someone with going to a legal protest and, you know, vaguely organizing it. Like she clearly had no control over the protest, which is why the day before they started arresting everyone, they even said maybe people should go home just to prove that people aren't just going to go home because they're on they're there on their own volition. But, yeah, also the other stuff that JCC has been doing, I think that actually could harm Tamara Leach's case, even though it should be a slam dunk. Some of the other PR work around what they've been doing, having Tal Moraza show up to a award show when there's really no reason for him to be there, especially because the legal implications. It's a gift to the prosecution, even though she shouldn't be arrested for any of this uh, breach of like conditions. The conditions are silly, but you know, you don't go out trying to uh, affirmatively violate the conditions just to prove you can. It's not exactly good uh, legal work in my mind. And, you know, they're investing a lot in other sort of PR videos and whatnot that I don't think are exactly helping make sure that this case is wrapped up as quickly as possible. Like Tamara Lich has a personal life and I think she should be able to get back to it as soon as possible. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, as you say, we'll see more charges dropped in the near future as, uh, again, all of this uh, narrative just begins to uh, slowly unwind and collapse uh, like sand coming, uh, you know, uh, sifting through their hands. Uh, it's good news. It's a W. Let's take it as, as such. Wyatt Claypool, senior contributor at the National Telegraph. Wyatt, thank you so much. Of course. Hey, thanks for having me on, Richard. All right. When we come back, today marks the uh, beginning of the temporary import ban on handguns. Tracy Wilson 
We'll be here from the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serres Show. Welcome back. As of today, individuals and businesses are no longer able to import handguns into Canada. Tracy Wilson is VP of Public Relations and Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Hey, Tracy, how are you? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, so what are you hearing from um, your members and also uh, gun shop owners on this uh, infamous day? Well, it's an unfortunate um, it's an unfortunate thing to play out. I was hoping that the liberals would uh, reconsider this attack on Canada's legal firearms industry and their customers and instead focus their resources on combating actual crime, violence and gun smuggling. But here we are. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough day. Um, the firearms uh, industry in Canada usually imports about $50 million a year worth of legal handguns uh, for Canadians. So, you know, this is usually 30 to 40% of their overall business. So there's lots of mom and pa shops all across the country not celebrating this day. I, I guess the good news is that, uh, you know, when they made the announcement, a lot of um, responsible law-abiding Gun owners went out and purchased more handguns. So we could could we safely say, Tracy, that as a result of that today, there are more handguns in the possession of legal gun owners than ever before in this country. Yeah, that's 100 percent right, Richard. So just since the announcement in May that there was an impending handgun freeze coming, Canadian gun owners have already gone out and spent uh, bought over 100,000 handguns just since May. So just to put it in perspective, that's about three years worth of sales in three months. So, uh, it, it, you know, it may eventually close the market, but the market is booming. And and even with this import ban that's being implemented Today, of course, they gave two weeks notice. So you've got importers and distributors across the country who have imported legally thousands of handguns that will now make their way to the shelves of gun stop, of gun shops across the country and then into the hands of legal licensed gun owners. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And the other good news, I guess, sort of, is if we're looking for, you know, the silver lining, it's a temporary uh, ban until it can be, uh, I guess, voted on in Parliament. And there are signs that this unholy alliance between uh, Jugmeet Singh and uh, the crime minister is 
starting to uh, perhaps crumble. We could have an election in the f- as early as this fall, some are speculating. So this temporary ban, uh, uh, it may never see the light, or a, a permanent ban may never see the light of the day, of light of day. That's exactly right, Richard. And even worst case scenario, if we don't get a, an election soon, which I hope we do, um, even if we don't, the entire handgun freezes basically boils down to an OIC that prevents the transfer of uh, legal registered handguns. So it's very easy to overturn with an incoming government down the road. It's probably the most easiest thing to reverse that's happened to gun owners so far. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a silver lining, but once again, I'm sitting here in the city of Ottawa just wondering when this government is going to do something credible to reduce smuggling. Interestingly enough, I'll just, I, I don't want to keep you too long, but Marco Mendicino, uh, public safety minister. Yeah, was, I wanted to pick up, excuse me, Tracy, I want to pick up on yeah. that actually, and I, I'd like to hold you over for another segment if you could. We will talk Absolutely. about, I call him mendacious Marco Mendicino down in uh, Windsor, bragging about uh, setting a record for uh, seizing illegal uh, guns. We'll talk about that when we come back. Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations, Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Back with more of our conversation in about two minutes. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. We're talking about the uh, import ban on handguns, which begins today. Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations, Club Outreach with Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. And uh, we were about to launch into this discussion about uh, the Minister of Public Safety, Mandacious Marco Mendicino, uh, bragging about the record number of illegal guns seized at the border. What is it, a couple hundred uh, guns? Yeah, so it was about 316, and you're totally right. Mendicino was not only bragging, but taking credit for a record number of seizures this year. And I think anybody who has any idea of what 316 gun looks like in the overall picture, unfortunately, it's a drop in the bucket. And I'm not trying to take anything away from our CBSA agents who are doing the very best they can with very limited resources. But that's it's it's woefully woefully um, unable to, to tackle crime with just such a small amount that are being caught. Right. And uh, I'm not sure if it was someone from uh, the the, uh, Border and Customs Agency that was testifying before uh, some parliamentary hearing, but basically they said that there is a zero percent chance of uh, finding smuggled guns on a rail car, which is basically how most of them come into the country, right? Yeah, that's right. So the Public uh, Safety Standing Committee in the House of Commons did a study on gun and gang violence. And within that study, they had officials from Via Rail, from CBSA, from all over come to this committee. And it was announced that they have a 0% capacity to inspect rail cars for any type of contraband, let alone just uh, guns. So, of course, that's very concerning because we've got a direct pipeline for smuggled guns coming right up through the states in through Manitoba and actually right into the north. So I know that uh, public safety critic Raquel Doncho has been all over this, but these are the areas where we should be focusing our efforts and our resources, not on licensed gun owners and their registered legal guns. Right. I mean, I don't know how many billions they've spent over the years on these boondoggle gun registries and now this import ban and, and so forth, but why don't they just funnel a couple of billion dollars? I mean, they have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to send to Ukraine. Uh, why don't they spend a, a few billion dollars and give our custom and border patrol agents the the equipment they need, the resources they need to search these train cars? 
Well, that's the question we've been asking. I mean, between the handgun stuff and the long rifle ban of May 2020, which they have yet to pay for, they are they're looking at an investment of about between two and five billion dollars to chase around legal gun owners and take the guns out of our locked safes. Yet they're only willing to spend a couple hundred million on securing our borders and ensuring that illicit guns aren't flowing across the border into the hands of criminals. So Canadians need to ask themselves, what are the priorities of this government? If not public safety, then what? Uh, precisely. Um, what are the, uh, I know the, um, the government also likes to brag about, you know, they're, they're clamping down on, um, assault weapons, whatever those are. Um, is the AR-15, is that, uh, now off the docket in terms of, oh, you can't own an AR-15 in this country? No, in fact, it's the exact opposite. All of us gun owners in the country who legally own AR-15s, and there's about 90,000 of us, um, we are forced to keep them. So these are guns that are apparently so dangerous that we're not allowed to own them, yet we're forced to keep them for three and a half years, locked safely in our safes, in our uh, homes. Because, of course, there is no buyback program. Nothing has been developed. Nothing has been launched. They are years away from uh, anything credible to do about that. And to be perfectly honest, I think the entire thing was theater to prey on the emotions of scared Canadians. And uh, of course, you know, the average Canadian isn't running around feeling bad for gun owners for losing their AR-15s. So no, I've still got both mine in my house. They haven't moved in years. But you're not able to take it out of the safe and and, and use it on a, at a gun range or any anywhere? No, I'm not allowed to use it anywhere. In fact, I'm not even allowed to take it for any maintenance or repairs. I'm not even allowed to take it to a police station. Let's say I did want to relieve myself of my guns. You can't even do that. Not that I personally would do it, but um, no, you are forced to keep it. You have no choice. No, that's so, a you know, the AR-15 saves, you know, hundreds of lives in the United States. It's it's a very handy weapon for, you know, uh, foiling home intrusions and home invasions and so forth. Um, someone on uh, Twitter, I, I th- I'm not sure if you retweeted this where I saw it, but someone said uh, AR-15s actually are used in the commission of le- fewer crimes than liberal MPs. So... <laughs> In Canada, that is 100% true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tracy, thank you so much for your time as always. All right, thanks, Richard. Tracy Wilson, VP of Public Relations Club Outreach with the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. All right, when we come back, the Sofa Cinephile will be here. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Sofa Cinephile on The Richard Serrett Show. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? A call, girl. How far, day? Huh? She had four alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Little Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams are 60 cops. 40 agents. You wild man, this kid Clarence, I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here, these are cops! There you go, true romance. 
it's out now on uh, 4K. And uh, I mean, a comic book nerd, a prostitute, uh, the mob, an incredible cast. How can you go wrong? It's uh, it's a great film. And again, uh, hard to believe 30 years, 30 years ago, ago, almost. The Sofa Cinephile, Christopher Garitano, is uh, with us. And uh, he is uh, the host of the podcast Off to the Witch. We'll tell you how to listen in a moment. Hey, Chris, welcome back. How are you, buddy? I am good. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you loud and clear, like you're in the same room. Fantastic. 30 years almost. Uh, 93. Oh, not quite 30 years. That came out. Yeah, I can't believe it. It feels like it was yesterday and it was way ahead of its time. Tony Scott always was with his filmmaking. Uh, his first film, The Hunger, way back. I, I felt that from seeing it at an early age. I, you know, his visuals and his approach to everything. Brother of Ridley Scott. And uh, he's since passed. But what a movie. Don't let the title fool you. It's not some cutesy little romance movie. No, it's kind of a road picture with guns. <laughs> um, what? In, t- tell me about this incredible ensemble cast. Okay, so we have Christian Slater as Clarence Worley, Patricia Arquette as Alabama, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, and many, many, many more people. This came out of the imagination of a young Quentin Tarantino. It was his very first screenplay. He was not making any money. He could not give this screenplay away. And eventually, after it went to filmmaker William Lustig, who made Maniac and Maniac Cop, it somehow got in the hands of Tony Scott. And Tony Scott wanted... Reservoir Dogs from Tarantino, which was on the verge of being made. And Tarantino stuck to his guns and wanted to make Reservoir Dogs, but offered True Romance to Tony Scott, one of his favorite directors. And of course, Tony Scott directed Top Gun Revenge, which was one of Tarantino's favorite films. And Tarantino was so excited that Tony Scott was going to make this movie. And, you know, think about it. This is just a, a movie fan who's down on his luck, who ends up this is all in his imagination and somewhat semi-autobiographical, the Clarence character. But everything else is just out of Tarantino's imagination, his wild imagination. And this is very much a Tarantino movie as, mu- as much as it is, is a Tony Scott movie. Right. Um, so I mentioned the, the Christian Slater character, Clarence. He's a comic book nerd. He's an Elvis fanatic. And he hooks up with a, a prostitute, uh, Alabama, played by Patricia Arquette. They fall in love. Um, take it from there. What else, I mean, what's, what's the story about? So, you know, yeah, it begins uh, quite benign with the Clarence character and he's sitting in a movie theater and a girl dumps popcorn on him by accident. And it turns out to be Alabama. They fall in love, but she has a secret. She's a call girl, recently acquired call girl. And every this roller coaster ride begins from there. And it's just nonstop. He goes to her pimp, played by Gary Oldman, very colorful character named Drexel. And um, he arrives to tell Drexel to leave Alabama alone, ends up in a very violent fight. He screams, uh, Clarence screams to get Alabama's things and they end up with a suitcase full of cocaine and then begins the roller coaster ride. So they figure they're going to pawn this off in some Hollywood producer and the mob is after them and the police are after them. And this is just again, this is Tarantino's imagination as a young man coming to the screen by Tony Scott, very talented visual director. All right. So now we have the new 4K edition of True Romance. How does it look? 
Amazing. So this is put out my Arrow. And Arrow makes sometimes just as good or if not better a lot of times than Criterion. And if this movie has such rewatchability, you can see this movie a hundred times. I mean, if you're into this type of thing, if you're not, but this is, this movie's so entertaining. And so this edition comes in with a new 4k master. It has commentaries by Tony Scott, Tarantino. I mean, those are just worth it alone, but they have several documentaries on here, a booklet, two posters, postcards. If you even remotely like this movie or have never seen it, I suggest you get this from Arrow. It is one of the most amazing uh, movies I have in my collection, to tell you the truth. And I have a lot. Christopher Garitano is the Sofa Cinephile. How do we uh, listen to your podcast, Off to the Witch? So if you go to anywhere that has podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, so so on and so forth, just search Off to the Witch and you will find my show. And just give us a quick uh, pitch. What's it about? So it's a variety. I um, I love movies and I love art and I love paranormal stories and I love strange oddities and things throughout history. And it's so it's a it's a collection of all of that and some powerful guests. Currently, we have a two part story about James Dean and it goes through his life, his death and the curse of his Porsche 550 Spider Little Bastard. Mm-hmm. So we just did the first episode this week, and next week is the conclusion with Lee Raskin, and he's the premier James Dean biographer. He's been following this man's life since he was a kid. Fantastic. Great work, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you. Christopher Garitano, the sofa cinephile. First we filled your mind. Now, let's twist it. This is <laughs> The Limb Riddler. Ah, Lim Riddler, we made it. It's Friday. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you doing? I'm very well, sir. Very, very well. Uh, so, the the um, the the Lim Riddle this week again. You stumped me two weeks in a row. Woo-hoo. I can't believe it. Uh, I was fumbling, you know, at the breakfast table trying to figure this one out. No such luck. Uh, uh, you know, this one's particularly appealing to uh, French historians who uh, delve into alternative investments. So if you're one of those, <laughs> this is right up your alley. <laughs> you are a renaissance man, sir. All right. So very quickly, how do these limb riddles work? Well, you've got four clues in this uh, in this limb riddle. Um, they seem to suggest different things, but that's because the one word that you're trying to solve for has different meanings. Um, this one is called Louis Versailles. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right. And, uh, oh, Jacob is uh, br- bragging again that he solved it. Did he get this? Uh, oh, he's lording it over me. He's lording right. it over me. Jacob. All well, right. We'll see if he did. We'll see if he did. But okay. uh, 
Yeah, so um, it, it's always easier to solve these things if you read along with me. And the way to do that is to go to the website, go to uh, limriddles.com, go to the homepage, and you'll see the limriddle there. Um, yeah, easier to solve if you can see it. All right. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. That way you get the Lim Riddle delivered right to your email inbox every Friday at this time. And as you say, then you can read along. It's always easier to read it than to listen to it on the radio. So let's have Louise Versailles. It goes like this. Girding the gardens at Louis Versailles, specialized funds may returns satisfy. Balance and bets can minimize threats. Mealy mouth words might the message deny. Wow, that's a tough one. One more time. Okay. Girding the gardens at Louis Versailles, specialized funds may returns satisfy. Balance and bets can minimize threats. Mealy mouth words might the message deny. All right, send your one word answer to solve this week's Limriddle to info at limriddles.com. Info at limriddles.com. Be sure to put 960 in the subject line. That way we know you heard it right here on the radio. And then be listening just before the news at 6 when I announce the uh, the winners and reveal the answer to this week's Limriddle. All right, Limriddler, you right have on. a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Richard. Bye for now. Bye. Solve this puzzle, The Lim Riddler, every Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960 AM. All right, don't go away. Hour two awaits. We've got Naomi Wolf. We've got Jim and Belinda Carajalios, uh, Art Moore from WND, and more. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you Hey there, welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, shame on you, shame on you. The show starts at 4 o'clock, be on time. Uh, You missed a lot in Hour 1, but still plenty of uh, great programming coming your way. Uh, We'll uh, get back to that uh, clip from Sam Harris that has just gone viral. This is uh, America's uh, eminence grease for the, uh, the left, I suppose. Philosopher, neuroscientist, atheist, uh, was going off on a, podca- a podcast about Donald Trump and, and how, uh, you know, if they had found the corpses of dead children in Hunter Biden's basement, he wouldn't care, he said, because none of that matters. 
But Trump University is such a big deal and uh, all of the Trump scandals and his mean tweets, that's far more important. Uh, Art Moore, author at WND, will be here to discuss. Uh, the great Greg Carrasco, host of the Greg Carrasco Show, will be here for our There Is Something Happening Here segment. And Naomi Wolf, uh, feminist, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. And she also runs a, a crowdsourced project that is analyzing 300,000 Pfizer documents released via a, a FOIA request. And uh, basically, she's trying to draw attention to what she's calling a massacre. She says nearly half of pregnant women in the Pfizer trial miscarried. Now, listen, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a scientist. Uh, scientist, I don't even play one on the radio. Uh, I, I That seems really high to me. Uh, we'll see what she has to say. But I mean, surely if this was going on, we would hear. We'd hear. We'd hear about this, wouldn't we? Um, you know, if a, if a, a woman, God forfend, has a miscarriage, She's going to tell people, you know, friends, family members. Um, however, we'll get it uh, from Naomi Wolf, her uh, line of thinking here. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of another example since Jack Layton and Olivia Chow sat on city council in Toronto, what, in the, um, the 90s? Jack Layton, God rest his soul. The Bolshevik on a bicycle. Likes to ride a bicycle. Anyway, he was a nice man. I met him a number of times. Nice fellow. Didn't agree with his politics. However, uh, it's not often you have a husband and wife duo in municipal politics. But um, it's happening again in the city of Cambridge. Jim and Belinda Carajalios. Jim, of course, leader of the New Blue Party of Ontario. Belinda Carajalios, former New Blue MPP for Cambridge. Both tossing their uh, hat into the ring for a city council in the city of Cambridge. And um, we're waiting for them. They're, we were having a, having a bit of a technical problem. I, I saw them in the chat, or in the room, and then they, uh, they froze. So we'll, we'll try to get them back. Yeah, have, you know, this, this, is a, this should be a huge story, I think. When you have a husband and wife team, both running for city council. Here's the interesting thing. If Jim and Belinda were both to get elected in the city of Cambridge, I, I looked it up. There's eight city councillors in Cambridge. That's it, eight. You've got the mayor and then eight city councillors. If both Jim and Belinda were to win in their respective uh, wards, I believe Jim Carajalios will be running in Ward 5 in Cambridge, and I believe Belinda's running in Ward 3. We'll find out here in a moment, hopefully. But if they were both to win, they would comprise one quarter of the city council. <laughs> Two out of the eight councillors would be Carajalios. Or Car Car what would be the plural of the Carajalios? The Carajali? I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, I, I think they've, uh, they've got some internet problems. Or do we have them now? We do. They're back. Jim and Belinda, welcome. How are you? Good, Richard. Thanks. How are you? My pleasure. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Um, I was just I was just mentioning while we were waiting for you to come on. I, you, I think you had some internet problems. We're, we're <laughs> glad you're with us. Uh, but I was mentioning that if the two of you were to win in your respective ridings, you would basically comprise twenty five percent of the city council. There's only eight councillors in Cambridge, right? Yes, that's correct. Well, there's the mayor too. 
Um, but I guess that's the math. Yeah, you did yeah. the math for us, Richard. We didn't think of it that way. We each made our own decision. Of course, but I'm always doing the math. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, f- former um, New Blue MPP, Jim, of course, the leader of this uh, new uh, provincial party. I, I know you're fond of saying that all politics are local, but what led to the decision uh, to run for municipal council? Well, for me, it was that desire to serve. So for the last four years, as you mentioned, I've been, uh, rep- I represented Cambridge as the member of provincial parliament. Um, and I, I got, I was, uh, you know, transparent in everything that I did. I, I put the people first. You know, people used to say, Oh, Doug Ford is your boss. And I think I made it fairly clear in 2020 when I voted against Bill 195, uh, because that's what my constituents wanted because at the end of the day, I know that my boss are the people, the good people of Cambridge, uh, because at the end of the day, you're a public servant when you are, whether it's a municipal representative or a provincial representative. Uh, and so after June 2nd, uh, a lot of people came up to me and said, like, I really hope that this is not the end for you. I, I, you know, please don't give up. Like, how else can you serve? And so, uh, you know, went home and talked about it with Jim. And we've been talking about it for a while, actually. Uh, and it was very clear to me that uh, running municipally was was something I wanted to do. Um, you know, Cambridge is a fantastic city. We, we live here. Our son goes to school here. And this is a great way to give back to the community and make sure that uh, the things that are going on at City Hall are things that we can have a say in and make some change. And for you, Jim, what led to your decision? Mine was more recent. I think it came together in the last few days, maybe a week, uh, two weeks, as Belinda was um, making her decision and collecting endorsement signatures. Uh, supporters were coming forward and encouraging um, uh, me as well to run. And uh, it took me a little longer to make the decision. But when I look at um, some of the candidates uh, running, I think they're uh, very nice people. Uh, we know some of them. We've heard of others. Um, just the politics is very different. And um, we live in Cambridge, spent a lot of time here. Our son was born here. And um, there wasn't um, uh, the perspective of defending the taxpayer. There wasn't the perspective of taking a rational approach to development in the city, not driven by political ideology, uh, to say no to everything. And uh, there wasn't the um, approach to... Um, you know, uh, we, we've had some incidents here of drug trafficking and crime in Cambridge and especially in Ward 5 where I'm running. And uh, it's concerning. And and uh, uh, people said, well, we can't have Belinda in Ward 5, Jim. Uh, we'll take you. And uh, I filed today on the last day. And um, uh, I'm really looking forward to it and building the new blue party and hopefully serving as a counselor in the city of Cambridge for the next four years. The fact that you're uh, a husband and wife. Running for city council, I was saying earlier, I, I'm trying to uh, comb through my memory. I, I don't think that that's ever happened since uh, Jack Layton and Olivia Chow sat on, uh, sat on city council in Toronto back in the 90s. Or am I wrong? Has that happened before? This should be a huge story. Yeah, I, I can't recall any other example myself. Well, where they're not going to cover uh, our story very much, Richard. I mean, Global News rushed out and uh, did an article about me running. Didn't even look at the um, uh, press release or the quotes that I gave them. And they're not going to say anything flattering about Belinda's uh, great track record as MPP or the fact that with me, I got back on my feet after a year uh, bedridden, recovering from osteosarcoma and six rounds of chemo and three surgeries. And, you know, I think I learned and I think we both kind of learned that life is short and uh, you got to stand up for what you believe in today, uh, live every day. 
and um, uh, live by the moment. And uh, that's what we're doing. But uh, look, if we both get on and we're fortunate enough to do that, I'll do my best Rich, to moderate Belinda. <laughs> on her print. Yeah, she flies off the hook. She flies off the hook. She has a tendency. No, but the thing is, what I'm, if you two were like liberals or Marxists, you'd be on the cover of every magazine right now. You well, know, wife team. Yeah, and especially because like I'm I'm mixed, right? Like I'm half Trinidadian, half Portuguese. They'd be like, oh wow, look at this. This is amazing. It's in, in uh, Cambridge has a very large Portuguese population, so all of that stuff would have definitely been covered. But because you know we're conservative. It's not the case. Right. But, you know, they haven't they don't want to cover us because this has been a few years now. So it's not a surprise. Both of us running for city council is not going to get a lot of mention. Um, You know, they don't talk about the fact that um, we've called out uh, internal party uh, voter fraud, cronyism, uh, made amazing historic proposals like Belinda has. Um, uh, to end voter fraud and internal party politics. She stood up against the drug injection site in Cambridge repeatedly and they, you know, defame her on that saying she spread misinformation for stating facts. And of course, you know, they won't even mention that I started the acts of carbon tax campaign that Pierre Polyev has branded as his own now. So of course they're not going to cover us, but it doesn't really matter what the mainstream media is going to say because uh, it's about the people and serving. And um, uh, the people of Cambridge have been really supportive of us. Uh, and everything we've been through, health challenges and uh, political challenges and um, uh, all politics is local, as you said. And if you're going to stand up for anything, you're going to stand up for uh, local constituents and neighbors. And there was a need in Cambridge and we're hoping to fill it. Jim Carajalios and Belinda Carajalios running for city council in Cambridge, Ward 5 and Ward 3. That's correct. Ward all three. right. <laughs> well, good luck to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending some time. Take care. All right. When we come back, Naomi Wolf, stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serra Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Uh, this is explosive, if true. Naomi Wolf. Uh, author of The uh, Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and The War Against the Human. Uh, she also runs a crowds, uh, crowdsourced project to analyze 300,000 Pfizer documents released via a FOIA request. She's reporting that nearly half of pregnant women in the Pfizer trial miscarried. Wow. Naomi Wolf, welcome to the program once again. How are you? I'm good, but let me jump right in immediately. Um, unfortunately, that report had an error in it. Uh, our author miscounted. Um, the miscarriage rates are much higher than normal in other places in the Pfizer documents, but she misread that data set. So I, it was immediately corrected. Um, other other areas have varying degrees of higher than normal miscarriages, but that is not correct. I just wanted okay. to give you thank a you for that. So uh, can you give us then the the new the new numbers? What do the what do the the numbers show in that Pfizer trial in terms of miscarriages? Sure. Sure. Well of the data set, well first let, let me issue a couple of other minor corrections. It's fifty five thousand documents to date. Um, that are in the Pfizer data dumps. Um, and it's 3,500 volunteers who are reviewing the, the Pfizer documents. Um, and these range from uh, biostatisticians to medical fraud investigators, physicians, RNs, um, 
bio, biological re- scientists, research scientists, and they are highly uh, credentialed to read these documents. They've issued more than 30 reports. So we're getting prior to this latest um, analysis uh, reports from other data sets of of higher than normal miscarriages. And let me give you examples. In um, government data in Scotland, the miscarriage rate is up 200%. So much more than nearly half. It's four Let's see, two hundred percent is twice the uh, the normal um, uh, miscarriage and spontaneous abortion rate, um, and that was reported by the BBC as well. In Ontario, Canada, uh, one physician reported eighty six uh, neonatal deaths. You know, babies born soon after. I'm sorry, dead soon after being born. When usually they have five or six in the same period. And in Haifa, Israel, and this was reporting by an Israeli journalist named Eitana Hecht, um, Rambam Hospital reported a 34% higher miscarriage and spontaneous abortion rate um, among vaccinated mothers versus unvaccinated. Uh, Igor Chudov, looking at um, government data from around the world, is showing drops in birth rates, right? Drops in live births. Um, or drops in birth rates. It's not clear which at this point, but lower than normal birth rates by a factor of as much as 20%. So in the Pfizer documents, in the reports, you, we've seen some of the mechanisms that could be causing these varyingly high rates of miscarriages and neonatal, meaning newborn deaths. And I can go into that, but I'll also say that at another point in the Pfizer documents, because Spontaneous abortion and miscarriage are mentioned in many, many places. The document that got misread, for instance, was over 3,400 pages long. Um, So we're not done seeing other places where there may be, you know, either normal or low or high miscarriage or spontaneous abortion rates. However... In another document, there's oh, no, Naomi, pardon the interruption. Eight percent Sorry, if I could just jump in, I've got to take a time out, but uh, we'll come back and we'll pick up on that point. Naomi Wolf, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human, also running a crowdsource project to analyze Pfizer documents released via a FOIA request. Back with more of our conversation right after these. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we are back with Naomi Wolf, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human, and also running a crowdsource project analyzing Pfizer documents that were released via a FOIA request. So again, I just want to make sure people uh, heard you, you earlier corrected uh, an initial finding that said that nearly half of pregnant women in the Pfizer trial miscarried. So again, that there was an error there, a reporting error. Um, what... But uh, just if you could elaborate on that, what what led to that error? Do we know? Um, yes, the author um, counted duplicates in, that were listed in two different places without noticing that the subject numbers were the same. Okay, um, you said though that your your researchers found mechanisms in the the Pfizer documents that might explain increases in things like spontaneous abortions that that have been reported in jurisdictions like Scotland, like Ontario, and elsewhere. Can you elaborate on what those mechanisms are? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Yes. Um, so Dr. Richard Chandler, uh, who is a very distinguished sports um, medicine physician who treated the Lake, the Lakers and the Angels um, sports teams, among many other sports teams, did an analysis of a biodistribution study in the Pfizer documents. And that means where does the material go? And as you may recall, all of us were assured that um, by the government, all the way down to physicians, organizations, and spokespeople on social media, that the injection materials stay in the in the injection site, but they don't. Within 15 minutes, the lipid nanoparticles, the um, the mRNA, and the spike protein travel through the bloodstream, and they lodge in in in, in organs throughout the body. And so what's very disturbing, I was deplatformed over a year ago for noticing that women were reporting menstrual dysregulation, menstrual harms, and weird things like two periods in a month or, you know, very uh, painful, heavy clotting and bleeding or, you know, 10-year-old girls menstruating after being injected with the mRNA vaccine like right away or many cases of postmenopausal women bleeding. These are not normal. And they're going to affect fertility. Um, but... Though I was deplatformed, I was right. And NIH studies, many studies have now proven that mRNA vaccinated women are having menstrual problems. So this is one mechanism is that when your um, uterine lining, which is the menses, is uh, disrupted um, or, or your cycle is disturbed, it's difficult to conceive a healthy baby and it's difficult to, to conceive at all. Like everybody knows that. So but now we found um, the mechanism for what could be causing some of the other disruption. Um, Dr. Chandler found that the lipid nanoparticles, spike protein and mRNA lodge in the ovaries and they don't leave the ovaries. They also lodge in the liver, the adrenals and the spleen um, and other places around the body, including the testes. We've got a report up about that. But when you've got spike protein, lipid nanoparticles, which are like um, industrial fats, I would say, uh, covered with a polyethylene glycol, which is a, a petroleum byproduct, right? And they're lodging the ovaries, lodging the ovaries, lodging the ovaries, not leaving the body, right? Dr. Chandler's chart goes like this up to the right of, you know, bioaccumulation of those materials in the ovaries to the end of that experiment. Then, it, then think about the second dose, the first booster, the second booster, the third booster, there's, we haven't seen any way that these materials are leaving the ovaries. So they're just accumulating and accumulating, it appears, with every injection in the ovaries. Um, there are other mechanisms. The lipid nanoparticles are designed to traverse every membrane in the human body. They were initially designed to bring medicine to um, brain tumors. 
But of course, and, and cross the blood brain barrier. But of course, if you've got a brain tumor, you're going to die. So, you know, if you don't, if something doesn't help you. So that's a cost benefit analysis that's very severe. But you take a healthy woman and you send these lipid nanoparticles traversing every membrane in her body. They also traverse the placenta. And if a woman is pregnant, all these pregnant women were told the injection cannot affect the baby. That's not true. The lipid nanoparticles cross the placenta. They also cross the blood-brain barrier and a bunch of other membranes. You know, I mentioned going to the testes. But they cross the placenta. It's not known what they do to the integrity of the placenta, right? But what is known is that the lipid nanoparticles are then in the amniotic fluid, right? They're in the baby's neonatal environment. So that could be a mechanism that it could affect the development of, of normal babies. Um, other signals we're getting are anecdotal. Uh, moms are writing in saying, this is, but I care about anecdotal signals because that's how you find out what to study. And with women's health, often it's women reporting changes with their children or changes with their bodies because they know their bodies and they know their children. So moms groups are reporting that 10-month-olds born after vaccination or while their moms um, were vaccinated while pregnant, these 10-month-olds um, are bigger than normal. Like on average, they're, you know, nine to 10 pounds birth weight. Maybe that's anomalous, but they're also having later milestones. They're slower to roll over. They're slower to sit up. They're slower to crawl. So again, very early signals coming from, you know, various reports, like eyewitness reports, just something to study. Um, the last thing I want to mention is that Pfizer defined exposure to the vaccine as including sexual intercourse with ejaculation. Um, and they said, especially at the moment of conception. Yes. And they told, and this is all up on a study that anyone can read on dailyclout.io by Amy Kelly, our project director, but Pfizer told the men who were enrolling in the internal trials not to have intercourse during the trials, vaccinated men, with um, women of childbearing age at all to abstain, but if they did have intercourse with women of childbearing age, to use a condom and, and another effective contraceptive. So they knew that there was exposure during conception. Additionally, Pfizer injected uh, two groups of rats, male rats and female rats, um, with the mRNA vaccine, and then they slaughtered them. They sacrificed them. Um, I'm sorry, they only injected the female rats with the vaccine, not the male rats. But they examined the the, the uh, genital tissue, the reproductive tissue, including ovaries, testes, presumably, of both genders, right? And then based on the fact that the males had not been injected, they said there's no effect on men. Right. But they were looking, the experiment was designed to examine reproductive capacity, reproductive normal function, you know, changes in the, in the cells. I mean, it's not that clear what they were looking at, but they were studying the reproductive tissue of these injected female having intercourse with male rats. So I guess I'm just going to conclude there that Pfizer is concerned. I mean, there are horrible outcomes with lactation that I can talk about. Um, the, the polyethylene glycol is getting into vaccinated women's breast milk and babies are having seizures and one of them died, at least one mentioned in the uh, Pfizer documents. Go ahead. Okay. Now, Amy, we have to run. We'll have to have you back on and discuss further, but thank you so much for this. 
Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me correct our author's error loud and clear. All right. Naomi Wolf. Thank you. All right. When we come back, Greg Carrasco. There's something happening here. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Something's happening here. Yes, it is. And his name is Greg Carrasco, host of the Greg Carrasco Show, heard on the mighty News Talk Saga 960 Saturday mornings, 8 to 11. Greg, how are you, my friend? Well, after the last uh, guest that you had there on the show, you know, it begs the question, are you saying that corporations will lie to us for higher profits? No. Uh, the same yeah. thing with uh, pharmaceutical companies. They would never lie or hide reports from us just so they can sell you another booster. No. How can you think that? <laughs> what are you saying, Craig? What are you, You've what are you gone saying? off the rails. You've gone <laughs> off the rails. You must be a conspiracy theorist. That's what you exactly, are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me, uh, I, I mean, I know this is an American story, but listen, it is everybody in the world is talking about this right now. And this uh, this uh, FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago um, uh, Trump's, you know, Florida residence. Now we're hearing from uh, whistleblowers inside the FBI that uh, this was basically just a general warrant, which is in violation of the Fourth Amendment. They went in there. They were rifling through everything. Uh, they were taking everything. Um, it's been speculated maybe that uh, w- what they were looking for is any any documents that that um, Trump has on Hillary Clinton and her email scandal and the whole Russian collusion hoax. All of those documents Trump declassified. So I don't know. The FBI wants to get those and maybe what burn them, plant evidence. What do you think's going on here? Well, I think that the uh, the answer is, for me anyways, is very obvious. I think that Trump represents a huge threat uh, for the for the next election, for sure. And they're going to try to find a way uh, to not make him run, to not allow him to run. I mean, we all know that the FBI has been sold out. I mean, you, you don't need to think very far or, or look very far for you to find that, uh, you know, the KGB, the SS, uh, in, in every single authoritarian government uh, throughout history has used their police services or investigation services as an extension of their political agenda, which is, you know, it's obvious to me that this is what's happening. I mean, uh, it, it is unreal to me. The, the one part that I don't understand, Richard, is that, you know, the pendulum will always swing the other way. And by them opening this Pandora's box, they will allow every future uh, Republican uh, administration to be able to go and dig deep in places that perhaps they should have never done in the past. Right. So what's to stop, you know, once the GOP take power, as is expected, they will, starting with the midterms and then in 2024, should Trump uh, be reelected? You know, what's to stop them then from turning around and sicking the FBI on Hunter Biden or the Clinton Clinton. or Barack Obama and so forth? And then it never ends. And it just becomes um, it just becomes a tin pot dictatorship or a banana republic. What do you have coming up on the big show tomorrow morning, Greg? Um, you know, it's, historically speaking, the average person in the uh, in the car industry will stay employed at a dealership in sales for eight months. Um, so the chances are that your salesperson, whoever you bought a car from, will not be there the next time you come back and buy a car. So we are going to dissect why most people fail when they enter the car industry. And we're going to look at this uh, from a from a holistic standpoint. And uh, you can for that, you can use this ideology to extrapolate why anyone would fail in most things in life. So we will, we're going to examine that. We're also going to examine how the this 
highly politicized uh, electric vehicle conversion that uh, government seems to be pushing onto people these days is going to affect society as a whole. I don't think that a lot of people are putting enough thought into what this is going to do to the makeup, uh, number one, of the tax structure, number two, to the, to the employment structure of our community. And um, I, we need to explore that a little deeper because uh, many people are trying to jump into this without looking at the future repercussions of the electric car uh, and, and what, it, what it means to, you know, at least here in Canada. Wow, some pretty heavy stuff going on tomorrow between 8 and 11. Greg Carrasco, host of The Greg Carrasco Show. Thank you, my friend. No, thank you. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Richard. And uh, I'll talk to everybody else tomorrow morning, 8 to 11 a.m. You got it. Greg Carrasco, Greg Carrasco Show. All right, when we come back, we'll uh, take another listen to that Sam Harris audio. Art Moore, author of, at uh, WND and co-author of See Something, Say Nothing, will be here with his thoughts. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hunter Biden, at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had, had the corpses of children in his basement. I would not have cared, right? It's like, it's, there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not, it's like, it's not Joe Biden. But even if Joe, like, even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like if you if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right, or China, it is infinitesimal compared to the corruption we know Trump is involved in. It's like it's like it's like a firefly to the sun, right? I mean, like there's just it doesn't even it doesn't even stack up against Trump University, right? Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in in Hunter Biden's laptop in my view, right? Now, that's not, that doesn't answer the people who say it's still completely unfair to not have looked at the laptop in a timely way and to have shut down the, you know, the New York Post's Twitter account. Like, that, that's a, just a conspiracy, that's a left-wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump. Absolutely it was, absolutely, right? But I think it was warranted. There you go. Sam Harris, uh, neuroscientist, uh, American philosopher, atheist, uh, eminence grease, I guess, to left-leaning intellectuals, uh, appearing on a podcast and um, saying those things actually out loud, out loud. Uh, Art Moore is with us, author at WND, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. Hey, Art, how are you? Hey, doing fine. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. Uh, this idea that uh, um, there's nothing in Hunter Biden's laptop uh, or, any, you know, even the corpses of dead babies in his basement that could compare to uh, the Trump, uh, the Trump University scandal, which, you know, um, first of all, what, what was so big or bad about the, the, the Trump University scandal? I know the students sued and they were awarded like $25 million because they didn't get what they expected, right? This was uh, yeah. uh, supposed to teach them all about real estate. Really comparing Trump University to anything in Hunter Biden's laptop? Yeah, it's remarkable. So there are two aspects to this, uh, probably many, but at least two to the remarks of Sam Harris that are, are, are really uh, remarkable. And of course, the big thing is, is that just him saying out loud what has been clear by the actions of mainstream media and uh, Democratic officials. But but the other thing that you're alluding to is, is he, he makes a little reference to uh, this story being simply about Hunter Biden. And, and clearly it is not. 
And uh, of, of course, any you know relative of the president who uh, is involved in scandal that the, the, that's something that we're going to pay attention to. But th- this is you know what was on the laptop. I one thing in particular that stood out was an email that was about this deal that Hunter Biden and his uh, associates made with this company that is at the forefront of the Communist Party's effort to spread communism around the world, this China energy company. And Joe Biden, uh, there's a lot of good evidence. You know, we can't say that we prove that, but there's very, very good evidence from many different sources that Joe Biden was to get a 10 percent cut of this deal. And and so uh, at the very least, let's let's start probing a little bit deeper there instead of saying, oh, there's nothing to see. It's about this poor son, you know, who's a drug addict and he's going around with prostitutes and man, what a messy life he lives. But gosh, you know, too bad. Uh, and then also to say that it's justified or warranted where Sam Harris's words, it's warranted um, to, I guess, subvert democracy in order to preserve democracy. That's basically right. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it, right right there is summing up the, the big, big problem that we have that is looming. And, and it's I, this idea that somehow we're back in the 1930s. Uh, in uh, Nazi Germany, and Trump is Hitler, and the Democrats are Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others who hatched this plot to take out Hitler. And so anything is justified. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was a minister of, of the gospel, and uh, you know he had to really think carefully about this, this plot to actually kill somebody, but he thought it was justified. And, and I think that on the left, they're thinking along the same lines, that there's a moral justification, whatever it takes. And in this case, it's covering up clear uh, evidence of, of corruption of a magnitude that we've never seen before from the president of the United States, at least that we've known about. We've never, there's been a lot of corruption, no doubt about it. But uh, it, it's pretty hard to top um, a family uh, business uh, that's run on uh, selling influence to the White House, making deals with Russian oligarchs, Ukrainian oligarchs, Chinese communist uh, firms at a time when those are all crucial foreign policy issues. And I don't think Sam Harris stated it categorically, but I guess if you follow his his logic, such as it is, then you would have to presume that in, in their playbook, it would also be OK, fine, above board to subvert an election in order to prevent orange Hitler from coming to power. Clearly, you know, and, and, and that's and we're still uh, talking about you know what happened in 2020. And I think there's plenty of we've talked before, you know, Richard, about some of the evidence that is there of uh, fraud in, in that election. And, and of course, right away, uh, if you bring that up, you know, you're a, you're a crazy denier and you're worse. You're an insurrectionist or whatever. But, uh, you know, you know, this this is, is really, I think. Very d- disturbing. Uh, you know, he, we, we've understood that the left thinks this way, but but there it is right there. Clearly, uh, what do we look to look forward to in, in the months to come? Uh, are, are the American people going to uh, it, whatever the outcome is of the November elections, uh, the midterm elections we have coming up? Are they going to trust the, the results? You know, if, if it's understood that uh, on both sides, uh, you know, we, we see. Uh, what's happening in our country, uh, the division that is there, the, this this um, understanding that you know, we're facing this existential threat and that, that each side uh, sees 
the the reality sees the issues in such diametrically opposed ways uh we're, i've never seen any anything like this in all of my years and uh we're clearly um divided uh you know no longer you know on public policy differences and you know this idea of you know my good friend across the aisle you know we debate we don't agree with a lot of things. Now, we're, we're really fundamentally divided in this country. Uh, yeah, we are at an inflection point in history, it would seem. It's, uh, the, these are scary times. Uh, Art, thank you so much, as always. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Art Moore, author of WND, co-author of See Something, Say Nothing. And now, your Limb Riddler answer and this week's winners. All right, this week's Lim Riddle, lining the gardens at Louise Versailles. Specialized funds may return, satisfy. Balance in bets can minimize threats. Mealy-mouthed word gets or might the message deny. Oh, now I see the answer, and so I should have gotten that. The answer is hedge. Hedge. The first five to answer correctly were Steve Rose in Toronto, Duncan Ruxton, Thunder Bay, Cameron Blair in an airplane, Tom D- what? Tom Dibley in Halliburton, and Margie Armstrong in Aurora. Congratulations all. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody Declan and Jacob. I'll be back next week to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you on Monday at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.